Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. Listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast, I'm Cathy Sheridan. On today's podcast, if you've ever been in and around Trinity College in Dublin, you might have noticed an imposing statue of former Provost George Salmon. In all his wisdom, Mr. Salmon famously resisted the admittance of women into the university for years and is reputed to have said a woman would only enter the university, quote, across my dead body. Coincidentally, Mr. Salmon died in 1904, the very year the first female was admitted to Trinity College. Well, just over 100 years later, not only are there lots of women studying at Trinity, but the Students' Union and Graduate Students' Union are all female committees led by women presidents. President and Vice President of the Graduate Students' Union, respectively, Shaz Oyer and Giselle Scanlon came into the studio to speak to me about how that came about and what it might mean for the future of women in politics. We also had a great chat about Shaz and Giselle's backgrounds, the different and winding paths which led them to Trinity College, and what education means to them. Shaz, yes. a hundred years ago, Trinity College Dublin admitted its first female student, and now both its student unions are all female committees. Was it hit by a bolt of lightning? What's happened? <laughs> magic. Magic, yes. magic happened in Trinity College Dublin in 2019, and... Uh, we're very pleased, uh, my colleague Giselle Scanlon and I are very pleased to be here because this is a really significant year for us because all seven sabbatical officers are women. And just to put that in context for the listener, sabbatical officers are full-time paid posts within the students' unions. Uh, we run for election and then the student body elects us to represent them for 12 months. This is so the graduate students' This party. is the graduate yes. students' union and the same thing happens within the students' union mm. itself. But for the first time that anybody can remember, so in living memory, all seven Sabbaths, so that's the five officers of the Students' Union and the two officers within the Graduate Students' Union are all women. But there's icing on the cake, Cathy, mm-hmm. because there are three faculties in Trinity and the three new deans, the deans are elected and the three deans recently elected are all women. Our dean of research, a fabulous woman, Professor Linda Doyle, is a woman We've so had we her in are, here and she yeah, has she left an amazing. absolute mark on us all. Yeah. She's an amazing woman. Amazing. Yes. So we have three female deans and we have seven Sabbaths, sabbatical officers in Trinity College Dublin 2019. And I think that We Are All Women is really significant in a year where gender equality is really, you know, a sort of a, a topical uh, subject in higher education. And before we move on, Giselle, one of the things that tickles me about this is that you and Shaz ran on a joint ticket. We did. Which is actually very womany, if I may say so. <laughs> Sister, sisters. <laughs> it had never been done before. And we led out on repeal 
for the postgraduate community. Yeah, a few years, just what was it, a couple of years ago. That we met through that. And um, we had a lot of policy decisions we thought that we could implement maybe together. And when you run on a on a joint ticket for those sabbatical positions, the positions are split in that we each have our separate roles and our separate responsibilities. So we sat down and discussed how it would work, who wanted what, how did you want it. It was all very mature and calm and clever. Yeah, and it was very dynamic as well, you know. And I think we took Trinity by storm because nobody was expecting it. And so they were expecting, because normally with Sabbath, sabbatical officers, the president, the vice president, um, they are, to an extent, they are in competition with each other, even though they are separate posts. But you have individuals who could be completely disparate individuals who don't know each other running for these posts in university. So we got together. We had a, a common policy platform of putting postgrads first, of vision, of inclusion, of engagement, of, you know, opening up a new conversation with Trinity because I think this is the year to do it, around the role of, around how it treats its postgraduate community, around the role of women, around elevating women in Trinity. And uh, so we just grabbed the opportunity and ran together. But actually, I just want to come back to something Giselle said, that we we met, what was it, did you say there? Yeah, we led out together on repeal for the Graduate Union Students' Union. But in fact, we met a few years ago on the stage of the Abbey. We did. (laughs) We did. And then, you know, that was forgotten about. And then as, as, the, as actors. Uh, not as, uh, well, Giselle's yeah. an author and I'm uh, a musician and we met doing a tra- uh, training uh, with um, the was wonderful it's... Andrea Ainsworth, you know, who's the voice coach in the Abbey. Wonderful Andrea, love Andrea. And Andrea was doing a, um, a bit of a training programme and we were both participants on it. And then that was forgotten about and suddenly we find ourselves two women having returned... Well, in Giselle's case, you'll have returned to university. This is my first time. I was never in college before. And here we bump into each other in Trinity College, Dublin. And uh, it's been it's just been fantastic. Shaz, do you reckon this is a Trinity only phenomenon, what's happened in, in, the, in the ranks this year? Or is, it, is, is this a wider thing from what you can see? I hope it's a wider thing. I mean, certainly we can see that the director, the new head of USI, the Union of Students in Ireland, uh, is a woman as well. Now, uh, Shana Cahill was also a woman and then this new president, the president, I should say, of USI's woman. So I'm hoping that this is, is a bit wider. But I do think that, you know, I can only speak from the point of view of, of what I'm seeing and experiencing in Trinity. And what I've been aware of, because before I was elected as president this year, I was the Equality and Diversity Officer in the Union. And it's clear that gender equality is um, a big issue across all Irish um, universities and uh, institutions of higher education and learning. And indeed, we have uh, programmes called Athena Swan. Now, I know that won't mean a lot to a lot of the listeners, but it's essentially a benchmarking programme we're running in Trinity. So as to try to uh, get Trinity to do to do better uh, around gender equality, around hiring women, around promoting women and to ensure that they get the opportunities, the same opportunities uh, and equality, and parity of esteem in terms of the opportunities that are afforded them as everywhere as everyone else. But, you know, Minister Mitchell O'Connor just recently uh, has said that she is going to put a bit of money into creating uh, women only 
Professor Posts. Which has caused a bit of an uproar. It's caused a huge uproar. And you can understand why. Because if it was me, and if I was an academic in Trinity, I'd be thinking, well, I want to get on, you know, on the basis of my, uh, my repu- you know, my, my work, my research, uh, and I don't want to be uh, promoted simply because uh, of my gender identity or my sexual identity or anything else. But the reality is, if we, I think... And this is now just personally me speaking, Cathy, just personally. But I do think if we are to wait for that to happen, I mean, we'll be, you know, there'll be somebody having that conversation in a hundred years time. You'll be up there with George Simmons. Yeah, I will. Yeah, they'll have, uh, I will. Yeah, yeah. I'll have turned to stone or George is, I don't think he's stone, is he? What is he? He's steel or marble. He's marble. Yeah, I'll have turned to marble like George if we're waiting for that. So I actually think Minister Mitchell O'Connor who is, who is a bit of a really a gender equality champion, uh, is on the right track. Now, it remains to be seen how it works yeah. out, do you know. But I think it's not about promoting women simply because they're women. It's actually about levelling the playing pitch and where everybody has, uh, you know, the same qualifications, the same experience. It's about ensuring that women are not left out. That's really what this is about, you know. Giselle, is there a sort of a bit of an overcorrection going on here? Are there males in Trinity saying, you lassies have taken over the whole show and this feels unfair? I've not come across that. I've not encountered that. I think we have to represent and it's a mandate to represent everybody. I concentrate on welfare and academic affairs and education. So... When I have a postgraduate come into me, gender doesn't play a part in that. The problems are the same regardless of gender. Now, you see, the men would all have said that as well, Shaz, wouldn't they? They'd have said, we represent women as well. What's your problem? Yeah, no, they would. And I, but I understand what Giselle is saying, because ultimately, as a welfare officer, the vice president of the graduate union, is has a function of that is as welfare and education officers. So uh, I see that from Giselle's perspective, you know, she's sort of um, colour blind, really, as regards the uh, students, postgraduate students and our members that approach her for assistance. But uh, it is the case that, I mean, a report came out in 2015 from the uh, Higher Education uh, Authority uh, indicating that at the upper echelon of Irish institutions of, of, of learning and higher education institutions, something like only 23% circa 23% of those posts were held by women. So, I mean, the evidence is clearly there. Now, we're not talking just about Trinity. This is, you know, across the board. Uh, And I feel, based on my lived experience, because I'm in Trinity on the basis of my, my, you know, recognition of prior learning, I was never in, in university before, that my lived experience as a woman is that, you know, from people see themselves, they, they like to see themselves reflected. If, you, if people, when they're sitting across, interviewers are sitting across the table from interviewees, you know, they see themselves, they have whatever commonalities they have all come into the mix when promotions are on the table. And I think these things have to be considered, you know. Giselle, do you think, is, is this a phenomenon or did you foresee this when you, when you watched the, 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 the great outpouring over repeal? Um, and the same-sex marriage referendum where we saw women coming out and really becoming, coming to the forefront of stuff and behaving, you know, in a strategically and in every other way 
sort of leading those campaigns. Is this just something that we should take for granted now or should we always be vigilant? Can we relax? Well, I suppose with regard to ourselves, we're the, the first president and vice president Sabat team to be elected also with a female cohort in the students' union. But there were already two female sabbatical officers twice before us. So we can't lay total claim to that platform. This year is different because House 6, where we all operate out of, is very focused on issues that we pop up and downstairs to each other. So there's a, a, a very... There's a, I felt it anyway, from my personal perspective. I felt a great camaraderie this year between the unions. And one can get a lot more done with more voices and more bodies. So there are a lot of us as regards the officers. I learned a great calmness in Trinity myself. A great calmness of looking at information. Why was that so important to you, Giselle? I came from the world of media and it's very immediate and it's extremely numbers driven. Academia is very slow. You slow everything down. You look at the argument. You hold the cup up and turn it around 14 different ways. And it has had a profound effect on my learning and development. A profound effect on me. The Irish Times Women's Podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition. Sumptuously smooth, dark chocolate. Shaz, Giselle was around university buildings before. You weren't. I wasn't, no. No. So is that how you see it now? Did you see it as a, as a, as a bastion of, of privilege before that? Or were you just too wise to the world and you just knew there was knowledge in that, that you could, you could, you could, yeah, well, could be useful? Yeah, well, I suppose my education was, and I know it sounds like passé, but the University of Life, really, do you know, uh, because I worked all my life. I, in fact, my first job, I think, uh, you know, we were very poor when I was growing up. I was a black child, white mother uh, in Dublin, in a very different Dublin to the Dublin we have now, do you know. And we were down in the North Wall, which was just a no-go area at the time. And I think that, I mean, university, the idea of going on to third level didn't really occur. It, it wasn't really something that anyone had ever done. What before. year are we talking about now, Shaz? Well, now we'd be talking about, you know, Fido, Fido. You know. Does that I mean you're not be... going to tell me? <laughs> <laughs> but let's just say, uh, to put it in context. I mean, it wasn't back in the 1950s. <laughs> no, it wasn't back in the 1950s. Or the 70s. Yeah, we could be okay, circa. Right. We could be circa that sort right. of time. Okay, so uh, but so you know the university. I mean, I'm the first. Um, I was the first member of my family to complete my leaving certificate, and that was a big thing. And then the idea was that you did the leaving certificate and you went out and you got a job. But I had worked all my way through school because my mother cleaned and I went with her. So I cleaned my way through school, but I got to take a break for my intercert because there used to be a thing called an intercert around at the time. Um, and uh, and that stood for something in those days, of course. And indeed, the leaving certificate has, has become eroded. I think that's it exists, but it's it's nearly a bit pointless. So I cleaned my way through school. And I suppose 
And in, but actually, one of my first little enterprises was not cleaning it, was that with my cousin. Uh, my cousin lived in Donamede and uh, uh, we used to, I used to go out to him in Donamede and we'd go up to Thomas Street and there was a fellow who used to sell stuff off the back of a van in Thomas Street. You know, he'd say, well, now I say, so I better clarify this, OK, for the listener. He used to sell things like toilet rolls and tin peaches, OK, and stuff like that. And we'd go and we'd buy big, you know, plastic buckets of sweets and Endless amounts of tin peaches, actually, for some bizarre reason. And then we'd go back to Donamede and we'd sell them. You know, we'd sell them out in the street and we'd sort of, we had our little enterprise selling sweets to the other kids and whatever. Um, but th- that was a sort of my life. So what happened was that when I left school, um, I, was, I, I was at a loss because I had sort of come out in school, you know, um, and I was sort of, I was, you know, the neo of the North Wall. Do you know what I mean? At that time, I was one of one, you know, although, of course, that reference will go over the head of anybody who, you know, has never seen The Matrix. But I was just this. I was about to ask you, I've seen The Matrix and I still don't get it. <laughs> the neo, neo was just this one of one was a sort of his, his tagline. You know, there was only the one neo and there was only the one of me, you know, down in the North Wall. So um, when I left school anyway. Who was, I was black and gay. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lesbian. Yeah. So uh, so I left school and I was thinking, you know, what, what was I going to do with myself? And it was it had been I mean, school actually wasn't the most positive experience. Now, I have to say secondary school, mm. because when you're com- coming out of those days, you know, being othered in the way in which I was, I think I was a very strong individual. But at the same time, I had no really positive role models. You know, I had n- nobody to really touch base with or to 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 talk to or have a sense of myself. I think I was sort of, for a while, I was in the, the well of loneliness, you know. Um, I like to think of it as being, you know, like I was, in fact, the welly of loneliness myself. But uh, eventually I, le- I left school and uh, I went to Nigeria for a year because my father's Nigerian. So I set off on this sort of journey to find him. And I did, try, you know, visit him. For, I was there for a time. Um, our relationship didn't really work out. Um, and I came back and what happened was I was walking down O'Connell Street and I saw these two guys shaking buckets on O'Connell Bridge. And I went up and I said to them, you know, what's this all about? And they said, well, we're collecting for HIV and AIDS. And I thought, oh, well, what's that all about? Um, and they said, well, it's, you know, you can find out more in our office in Parnell Square. Um, but what I identified about them was one of them, um, he, we used to call him Peach Carbolic, he used to be a drag queen. And he was like, I mean, what now, a peach, if you're listening, you know, he wasn't the, the, sort of the best looking drag queen in town, but he was a great guy. So and he's peach, a bit of a pioneer by the sound of things. Yeah, so yes. Peach was shaking a bucket and this other well guy done, uh, shaking a bucket from an organisation at the time that was Cordia. And so um, I went around to the offices of Dublin AIDS Alliance on Parnell Square and I, I was there then for years. I had come home. Do you know what? I was there for years. You found your tribe, so I to found speak. my tribe. Yes. Yeah, I walked into it. It was just, and it was an amazing time. There was amazing. Now, this would have been in the early 90s, do you know, Cathy. There was amazing activism going on in Dublin. But and terribly tragic at times as well. I mean, I remember a point where there were a lot yeah. of people dying. There were a lot yes. of people dying. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, there were. There were a lot of people dying. There were a lot of funerals. But at the same time, there was also, I think, the whole social activism in Dublin at that time was amazing. And I think that a lot of the AIDS activists and the LGBT rights activists opened up the conversation around sex, sexuality, 
sexual well-being and sexual health and all of these sorts of things. And at the same time, they were coming on the back of all of the women's movement and the condom trains. Which is important to remember. I'm glad to remember. you put that in context. Yeah, yes, very yes. important because yes. they were really the trailblazers. The feminists were the trailblazers. Then we followed... And, you know, the, the third wave feminists would be all sort of my heroes in that, you know. And then we followed them in terms of uh, lesbian and gay activism and HIV and AIDS, building one building on another, one step standing on the shoulders of another. We have arrived at a stage where we ended up with, yes, equality uh, a few years ago, repeal and so on and so forth. And what about you? I mean, so you still, are, are you still working with in that area or have no, you, you I'm to not, move on? No, I've I moved on from that area um, a long time ago, probably around about 2000. Um, and I decided to embark on a career as a singer songwriter, started my own label. And that was hugely fantastic. That was great. It was really exciting and fantastic. But it's just unfortunate that I think the record industry began to cannibalize itself. That's the best way I can describe it. Um, and I think the onslaught of digital media platforms, the Spotify's, the MP3s.com's, all of these things have eroded to some extent the value people ascribe to music. Everybody wants free music. And it's not that people shouldn't have free music, but you're left with the, the, the dilemma of how do musicians make a living, you know. Yeah, I, I, I would I would debate that issue about about people shouldn't have people don't know the value of something if they don't have to make some contribution yeah. towards it. So I don't think there should be such a thing as free music. Mm. You then so so then did you decide to, to go to university or what happened? What happened was, yeah, I I mean, I could see I had taken a bit of a break from the music business um, because, you know, when you're doing it yourself, it's like write the music, you know, tour the music, sell the merchandise, make the merchandise. Um, it just gets a bit monotonous after a while, you know. So I was thinking, myself and Patricia, my partner, who was managing me, and we we had set up Radical Fairies Records to sort of sell the music. We were sitting there going, you know, like we're we are penurious at this stage, you know, um, going, what are we going to do? You know, how do we get around this? And so, whereas meanwhile, Patricia had all uh, is a, works in, as a corporate coach, and she's developed a business doing that, and also with Sticks and Stones anti bullying drama program. So she was pursuing that business and not really in a position to sort of manage me. And then I'm looking at my career, going, you know, where do I go next? And purely. Um, Coincidentally, an ad popped up. I'd, I could have been on social media, right, um, for the Master in Music Education in Trinity College, Dublin. And Patricia saw the ad and she said, oh, my God, you know, th- you have to do this. Because I had um, obviously a background, n- not simply as a professional musician, but I also had some experience as a trainer and as an educator. So she said, this just combines the two of these and this will give you the sort of theoretical grounding that you need if you to 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 build a career in that area, you know, and to sort of the opportunity to sort of interrogate um, that as well. So I applied uh, to the School of Education, and I couldn't believe, Cathy, that they actually let me in. They didn't say, me? "Oh, you must have a primary degree." <laughs> there was there was there was no cavilling about that. There was a bit of a a, a discussion about it. You know, uh, and in, in some instances, there could well have been full and frank discussions around the table. But there is a facility in universities whereby if you have um, you are sufficiently qualified and have a sufficient experience from your past, they sort of um, 
I don't know what the technical term is. It's life experience. Yeah, uh, but they look at your lived experience and it's as though they will accredit it for want of a better way of putting it. And then if it is felt that you can, you're up to the academic rigour, basically, they'll give you a chance. And Chaz, this would never have crossed your mind before that. I mean, so you have to go through this process, mm-hmm. uh, a, a most an unusual process yes, in, unusual. In, in, in where yeah. you are coming from. What was the hardest part of it? Making the application. It's deciding to do it. And the reason for me, in, in my experience that was, was that I thought, you know, Patricia was saying, you have to do this, you must do this. And I sort of felt, well, this is a postgraduate degree programme in Trinity College Dublin. And I thought, you know, they will never, (laughs) they will just never let me in. And it's interesting because I spoke to a couple of other uh, colleagues of mine who came in um, sort of into the undergraduate programmes who are returning after very long absences from school to education. And they had, with the undergraduate programmes, the same experience of thinking, you know, they'll never let me in. And of course, we discovered that they have let us, they did let us in. Um, I didn't find, I don't find the academic work at all hard. I enjoy it. I mean, I think it's just, for me, you see, this is a third iteration. Do you know what I mean? It was like social justice activism, professional music business and now academia. So it's a, it's, for me, it's just a massive opportunity. It's the reverse of what people usually do. Though. It is. They the start reverse. off with the they academia. They start off with the academia <laughs> yes. and then they go out into the world. Yes. Do you know, but I would recommend anybody listening to this programme to go this route because you go into uh, this really privileged environment, yes, but you go in with the experience behind you, with the grounding already there. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's it's a just I it's it's fantastic. I ca- I do pinch myself every day when I walk into Front Square and I look at the company. Isn't that you know? fantastic, Giselle? And the way you've described it is rather lovely. That it slows down and you've you've time to examine things. And 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 reflect on things, but also it's very hard work. I mean, I I was being a little bit glib there earlier when I said that all sounds rather nice, but actually it is it is hard work. Well, when I was in UCD, and I have many great friends when I was an undergrad, we couldn't afford as a family for me, as opposed to finish. So I went out into the world like jazz. You mean you dropped out before? I had to. You got your degree, yes. yes. And there was a situation in place at the time where one applied to their local TD for a grant to help your daughter or son go to university if you were. It was a means tested. And I think my father was half an acre over the means test. It was heartbreaking. And I remember, you know, that conversation. It's like all children, our generation. There was no money in the country and our parents worked very hard to build houses and put shoes on our feet. And I suppose I explain it like we were we were children. We learned to swim in the sea. We didn't learn to swim in swimming pools or swimming lessons. You know, country children from Kerry. I suppose I have I have a deep respect for knowledge because I went out and into the world and made phenomenal friends and colleagues throughout my life working and now that I've sort of gone back in through the gates the first time I went through those gates I was seven and I remember you go in that archway and the light comes up it's this shadow and then you're into light is that, I, is that how you've, you 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 feel about about yes. education yes that's my metaphor yes when I go in the front gate 
and you go in through that sort of dark tunnel and then opportunity for everybody. I feel that every day. It's a funny thing. You said, I remember watching my, my eldest daughter walk into Trinity for the first time and I actually stood back yeah. to watch her make that entrance. It's and it still chokes me up a little bit. Yes. And Shaz was saying, you know, we, we had that in common when we started to talk. I had to make the application with no two one. And I made an application to the MPhil in creative writing. And Deirdre Madden was absolutely phenomenal. Had you already written um, The Goddess Goddess Guide Guide at that stage? Yes. Yes. So you you, you had a body of work to show. I had a body of work, but it didn't matter. The rules are the rules and everyone in Trinity is treated equally as regards applications. Shaz, at the end of all that, we are now absolutely convinced of the attractions of going back to university or starting in midlife, um, in terms of its practical application, mm-hmm. can you see where this is bringing you now? I can. I mean, I think, you know, as Giselle has said, uh, meeting uh, people from all over the world. Uh, I mean, the, the postgraduate community itself. I mean, we're just north of 5,000 students in Trinity and we're a very broad church. You know, we have part timers. So, I mean, this uh, my degree, uh, for example, is I'm doing it over three years part-time. People can do it over one year full-time or two years. Um, we have people who are student parents, people who are travelling long distances. Um, you know, we, we're a very... People who are international students, people who are from outside of Dublin, within Dublin. It's a very, very broad church. Um, but for me, I think that it's expanded, you know, the breadth and the depth of my experience of being with people, of being human. So... On one level, in terms of my personal development, I think it's been really satisfying. But professionally for me as well, as I say, I see this as a third iteration, as a new opportunity to carve a new career for myself. Might you run for election? Oh, well, now, we wouldn't want to get too specific about these things. It's too early days to sort of call that, Cathy. OK, there's a lot but, of, that's, a, that's a lovely wide spectrum we're talking about yeah, there. Yeah, very broad. We have yeah. to keep, keep our options open. I can think of very few things that are actually more productive than doing what the two of you are doing and also taking this sabbatical year to work towards, to work at the same time towards other goals. Here we go. Could I say something, if you wouldn't mind? There are maybe people that might hear this or girls, boys, men, women that might hear this and be afraid of what those walls and those gates represent. Those five gates are not closed gates. Those gates are gates that I think we would like people, if they want to come in to House 6 and find us, and if you're in any way apprehensive that you're in a job and you're feeling, God, I'd love to go back and I just don't know where to start. There are services there to help. But as regards the Graduate Students' Union, we specifically help and advise and guide anyone that wants to do or pursue postgraduate education. That is a wonderful invitation. Yeah, we're there so just to make sure that... They should go through one of those gates and look for House 6. Go through one of those gates and just, you know, we look after postgraduates, but for any woman or any man that just feels, you know, even we have our phone number, we have our email, yes. 
you know, we, they will be our postgrads if they join the postgrad community. They will be our family. And we just, I felt so welcomed. Yeah. I'm just returning the favour. Yes. Wow. Second that. Absolute. Giselle and yeah. Shaz, we look forward to hearing much more from the two of you over the coming years. And thank you so much for coming into the Women's Podcast. You're You've welcome. been an inspiration. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for today. Thanks to all our guests today, Shaz Oye and Giselle Scanlon. Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Spotify, Acast and all good podcast apps. If you want to get in touch, we are on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or email us on thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. The Women's Podcast is produced by Roisin Ingle and Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Until next time, thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.